following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. To whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great grace. You've allowed us to gather here together to worship you this morning, to freely study your word, to own a copy of the Bible for ourselves. We pray, Father, this time would not be wasted, not just a social hour, but we would come seeking you seeking your kingdom, seeking your righteousness, and aligning our lives to it, not expecting you to align to our will. So, Father, we pray now as we open your word that your spirit would speak, that you would interpret the words that I say uh, to our ears, that they would be your words, your message, not mine. Lord, we love you. We give you this time for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so perhaps the most striking uh, aspect of this passage is right at the outset. Jesus rejoices in the Spirit. And the commentators are agreed in saying that the word rejoiced here translated for us is too weak of a word. Um, I think that we might struggle to come up with an appropriate term that's strong enough to describe what's really happening. Um, the old commentators come up with greatly exalted in, in the spirit, uh, which, you know, we use that word all the time. Like I just, I was exulting over the Red Sox game. That sort of stuff, I, it's just kind of foreign to us, but it was overflowing with joy. So much that it, it like the physical manifestation of joy. Um, it's hard to, I, I, I don't know. I couldn't come up with anything. Um, wicked joyful, I guess. <laughs> Sorry, Lord. <laughs> That's not, yeah. See, this is why I pray to interpret the words that I say between my lips and your ears. I guess stick to this scripture. Right? So he was filled with joy at the report of the reception of the 72, right? When they came back, he was filled with joy, rejoiced deeply in his spirit. Um, this is the only account of Jesus uh, experience this kind of joy, experiencing this kind of joy, uh, although I'm sure it wasn't, um, this experience wasn't foreign to him. The blessing of this is this is one of those kind of rare veil-lifting moments where we get to see a glimpse of Jesus' inner man, not just the things that he said or the precepts that he taught or the principles that he laid down, but kind of seeing a little of his experience, um, the joy that he experienced in his heart. And I just think that's a <clears throat> worth ruminating on, just to think about. 
And what was it that filled him with this uncontainable joy? Verse 21, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Now, just a theological footnote here. Um, Do you see the Trinity expressed here in these verses? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit represented here in these verses. Right? So just so you're aware, if you haven't searched this out before, the word Trinity does not exist in Scripture. It does not appear even once. Um, but there is, here we have the concept of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all distinct and yet fully God right here in this text, right on the surface. God the Son rejoicing in God the Holy Spirit and thanking God the Father for his grace to these disciples. Um, it's there. Uh, and that's, um, that's just, a, just a bonus nugget there. It's not my one point for this morning, um, but worth noting. Anyway, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and thanks the Father for his expression of grace upon the disciples. And when he does, he makes this contrast between the disciples... Uh, the 72, uh, I, I think he also would include the 12 apostles in there as well. He calls them little children. And, and then he contrasts the little children to those he calls the wise and the understanding. Uh, and this is a tough contrast for us to understand, I think. And it's important for us to recognize that Jesus is not comparing educated people to uneducated people. He's not um, saying uh, there's intelligent people and the unintelligent people, and yay, unintelligent people. Um, that's, that's not really it at all. The comparison has nothing to do with how much schooling a person has gone to or been through. It's simply a question of pride. So when you think about who the wise and understanding are and who the little children are, and think, well, yeah, that's, yeah, it's pride, man. They're, good thing, kept it from the pride, folks. Well, be careful who you point your fingers at. Um, and, I, yeah, you know the, I did, forget it, you got it. Uh, sorry. Before we go pointing our fingers at who exactly is, is acting or thinking pridefully about themselves, we ought to take just a second for a little self-examination. Uh, and I'm going to start with me. Uh, early in my ministry journey, though I had lots of opportunities to pursue higher education, um, I took pride in the fact that I was an unschooled, ordinary man that God had called into ministry. Um, just like Peter and John in the book of Acts, right? Right? People recognized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They could see they had been with Jesus. Yeah, that's the T-shirt I want. Not University of South Central Louisiana Community College, whatever. Um, I like this idea. And And I held on to that fact for a long time until last February when I graduated from college. And now I can't say that anymore. Because uh, I finally got my degree. I can't claim that I'm unschooled. It's 
still fairly ordinary, but whatever. The truth is, is that pride was and still is the problem. I was taking pride in my status as an unschooled, uh, ordinary person, and I'll show you what I can do regardless of my level of education. Well, that's the problem that Jesus is pointing out. It's the humble versus the proud. It doesn't matter your level of education. It matters your level of pride. That's the true comparison that Jesus is making. The disciples were like little children in, in the fact that they didn't see themselves as more important than they really were or more advantaged than they really were. They weren't too big for their britches, right? Like the other religious leaders of that day, even today, still stands true. The wise and the understanding that Jesus is pointing out here are the ones who saw themselves that way. They saw themselves as wise and understanding. That's the t-shirt they were wearing. It was all about status. Those who saw themselves as wise and understanding and having importance rejected Jesus and his message. They craved the status and the power and the control that came with their station. And because of their pride, the Father passed over them with the good news. They They were unwilling and unable to hear it. Alistair Begg said, the contrast is between those who imagine themselves to be so wise and sensible and learned that they then can pronounce judgments on the truth of the gospel. That's the problem. I'm better than that. I don't need that. I don't need God's grace because of my lineage, because of my education, because of my status, because of my job, because of my family. I don't need that. That's who Jesus is making the contrast. So what's the message there? Simple, right? Don't be like that. That's it. Let's close in prayer. Don't be like that. Be humble enough to submit to the truth of the gospel. We have to recognize that we need salvation from the outside. Right? Not based on personal merit and worth and status and talent, good looks, none of that. And to recognize that is a truly humbling thing. Like God didn't save me because he needed what I have to offer. God's not putting together a baseball team. Oh, we need a shortstop that can hit. Right, so I'm gonna, right. Salvation not obtained by great learning or talents but by simple, unadorned faith in Jesus. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord." The question that we have to ask ourselves is, do I think I'm any different than that? 
Not many of us were wise. Not many of us were great and strong. Why? Because that's not how God wants it to work. There's no room for pride in the kingdom of God. If you're going to boast, boast in the Lord. He, he chose me. Do you? You don't understand. If he chose me, if you only knew. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God chose you out of the world to have faith in Jesus, to be part of his church. He knows your story. If you only knew mine, you'd boast in the Lord all the more. Jesus said in verse 22, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Again, we see the sovereign grace of the Father at work. It's important to get the idea um, that the Father is not without witness in the world. He's not, Jesus is not saying nobody knows anything about God except through Jesus. That's, that's not what he's saying. Um, the, the, the scripture record is clear. Psalm 19, 1 through 4 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. You can see God. You can see his existence. And you can see some of his characteristics just in nature. Romans 1, 18 through 23 says, There are certainly attributes of the Father that the entire world can see in creation itself. Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You think that was just then? No, it's not. But what Jesus means is that only through him can we know the Father as Father. The world can see God as God through creation. They can see his glory. They can, they can see his power and divine nature. But they cannot know him except through Jesus. We cannot know the Father intimately unless we know him through Jesus. He has chosen to reveal himself only through the Son, only through Jesus. 
In John 14, Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? And you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. What's the point? Jesus is the only chosen instrument to reveal the Father to mankind. The only instrument. That means Jesus is the only way to God. Let me, let me say that again. Jesus is the only way to God. That is a hill worth dying on, my friends. Jesus is the only way. That's what makes Christianity unique in the religions of the world. It's this claim that Jesus is the only way to know God personally. That means that all religions are not basically the same. That means that all religions do not lead to God. The Muslims don't pray to the same God that we do. The Jehovah's Witnesses don't pray to the same God that we do. The Mormons don't pray to the same God that we do. Jesus is the only way to the Father. Jesus is the only way to know God. Is that fair? Fair enough. John Calvin wrote, Whatever God has determined must be regarded as right. That's just the way it is. God is God, and he is the one that has the right to decide what is right and what is wrong. We don't. We don't. All things have been handed over to me by the Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. This is a truth that we must not apologize for. This is the truth we must stand on. These are facts. But we must not stand on them in pride and wag our finger in people's faces. I'm right and you're wrong. That's why it's so important for us all to recognize that we are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. We're not better. We're not. If we don't get the message of humility here, I I don't know what else to do. J.J. Van Oosterzee wrote, The Savior declares, therefore, that a man 
can be guided only by the knowledge of the Son to that of the Father, but also conversely that a man can be guided only by the Father to the knowledge of the Son. Either way, it's an act of grace, and this should humble us because we do not deserve this knowledge. We do not deserve to know Jesus. We do not deserve to have our sins forgiven. You don't get this just because you live here. You don't, you don't get to know Jesus just because your grandparents did. I love that old song that says, you can't keep living on granny's angels. It's about time to get one of your own. <laughs> a goofy song. This is an act of grace, to know the Father through the Son and know the Son because the Father allows us. That's an act of grace, and this should humble us. Verse 23, Jesus then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. What a statement. What a humbling thought for the twelve. I, I have to say, I love these verses. It's just such a beautiful reminder to the twelve and, and, and therefore us of the blessing that they were experiencing. R.C. Sproul wrote, Wouldn't Abraham have rejoiced to see the feeding of the 5,000? Wouldn't Moses have enjoyed listening to the, to the Sermon on the Mount? Wouldn't Elijah have delighted to watch Jesus turn water into wine? Wouldn't King Solomon in all his splendor have been willing to part with his riches for the opportunity of witnessing Jesus raid Jairus' daughter from the dead? Do you ever yearn to have been there to see what the disciples saw? They were indeed blessed. But there will come a time when we will see him face to face. We will hear him with our ears. And that blessing will be ours, and his joy will be fulfilled in us. What a beautiful thought. What a blessing we have, little children, (laughs) to get to see the fruit of the Holy Spirit's labor through these men, through those first disciples, to see the gospel spread all across the world, and God's kingdom advance to the four corners of the globe, all the way to Ossipee, New Hampshire. Do you know we're almost exactly opposite (laughs) where Jesus was standing when he said this? We are literally on the other side of the planet. And we get to see the fruit of this work, the Holy Spirit spreading the gospel through men and women just like us, little children, humble enough to recognize that it's God who does the work and we are the ones that don't deserve it. But we're blessed by his grace, and we get to receive it. Praise him for the work of his church. Let's keep working to spread the gospel until he returns so we can share in his joy. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you have chosen to use the weak and the lowly, 
in this world to advance your kingdom? Instead of choosing those who thought they might deserve it by rights or heritage or status or position, instead you chose regular people, ordinary, unschooled people to share this great truth with the world. And we're grateful, Lord, we get to be part of that heritage. That you can use people like us, ordinary, regular folks, little children, to share this great truth, to confound the wisdom of the wise, and show the strong that they're really weak. Because it's not about us and what we can do or what we have done. But it's about what you have done and what you can do in and through us. We're so thankful for that. We thank you for this reminder that all the glory goes to you and not to us. That we can be saved simply by unadorned faith in Jesus Christ who gave his life on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, to serve as our Redeemer, to bring us back to you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890. 